Well, uh, thank you. Welcome again, Touch Heaven, to our Sunday morning service. Those here, those online, it's blessed to be with you today. And uh, just one last comment about the Gansbars. Uh, they give more than they receive. Uh, so many things they're doing here that you're not even aware of, Alyssa, the children. Uh, Mike is one of the first ones when he hears a need to always step forward. And they do that for other people as well. They're a big family with a big heart. And uh, just last night, Laura Lee showed me a picture of their children from here five years ago. I couldn't believe it. I said, it's just like they walked through the door and they were really tiny, some of them, little, little peanuts. And uh, to watch them growing up in our midst in such a wonderful family and what the Lord's done with them and is gonna to continue to do with them, amen. So we're blessed, we're blessed. And, and we are a family here at this house. And so, you know, the only way we can know about you is if you tell us sometimes. So sometimes people feel hurt or abandoned because nobody's there reaching out to them because we don't know. But if we know, we wanna hug you and hold you and love you and be what we can for you. We can't be everything, he's your God. But we sure can be the hands of your Lord at times when you allow us to be so. And that's for those of you online who stay in touch with us also. What a pleasure it is. And uh, I might also add that, you know, there's so much power in the intercessory prayer of this house. Miracle after miracle after miracle come through sometimes quietly from people that have been put on the prayer chain and people are praying for them. And all of a sudden, something happens and something wonderful takes place. So you have a resource. It's called the Touch Heaven Prayer Chain. If you need to know how to contact that, you know, you just get a hold of the church, send something through on the messages to Dwayne. Dwayne gets them and sends them forth. You can go online to our website if you don't have direct contact with somebody. And we get them and we pray and God makes a difference. Amen to God be the glory. Father, once again, we just ask you to put your anointing and wisdom over the Word of God. And we thank you, Lord, that you help us this morning to just receive those little brittle truths that will help us to strengthen and to walk with a better purity and hope and confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was pondering and seeking the Lord this week for his heart, um, I kept seeing and hearing a break, 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 break. Now my first reaction was, Lord, do I need some more breaking? <laughs> it's never comfortable. Getting broken isn't a good thing at the moment. I mean, whoever, who wants to walk into that? Something's wrong with you. It's like saying you can't wait to go to the dentist to get a root canal, you know. I mean, it, it's just not, that's wrong. And, uh, but, Fortunately, he was merciful, and he said, no. He said, I want you to bring a message of, of hope uh, for brokenness. And then this morning, hope walked through the door. And I said, yes, Lord, we're spot on. And, uh, and what a beautiful smile she has. I mean, it just lit me up the moment I saw her. And uh, brokenness is, unfortunately and fortunately, brokenness doesn't know any boundaries. Brokenness isn't reserved for just the ungodly or just the godly, but both alike. Everybody in their lifetime experiences brokenness. 
sometimes more than once, sometimes in different levels, sometimes in different intensities, correct? Um, I'm sure if I asked you how many of you have been totally down and out and flat on your back emotionally, spiritually, financially, whatever the ways are, most hands would go up, if not all. And those who I'm speaking to online and that'll watch this later, you can identify. And there are some that are right now in that place of despair and it seems dark and there's so many things that contribute to it. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's a consequence of things that we have done or things we haven't done, and sometimes there's no explanation that it's something that is a result of what we've done or haven't done. It just happens. And those are times when we begin to question, you know, Lord, where are you? Why? The big question, why? And so I wanna deal with that a little bit this morning, and I don't think we'll get too far with it, uh, potentially, if the Lord allows, we might deal with this for a few weeks because it's so important as we're putting the guardrails up in our lives and measuring things and preparing ourselves for things. So many times I've taught and so many times I've encouraged you and me and all of us who know our Lord that we come to some absolutes in our faith. And we embrace those and we hold on to them and we make them a foundation of our walk. The last thing you wanna do is to walk into a burning building without having oxygen to breathe or without a fire hose. You have no sense being in there, you're gonna get burned. And uh, if, if the house is burning and all of a sudden you're looking for those things and have them prepared, you're in trouble, aren't you? Um, it's anything in life we try to prepare for. It's interesting how every time there's a caution that comes out, especially in areas that are prone for tornadoes or for hurricanes um, or for cyclones, uh, people run out and the stores get emptied. And you go to Home Depot and you can't find a generator. You look for food and all the food is gone and, 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 and the baby food is gone and even dog food gets bought up. It's the shelves become empty very quickly because people are storing up to be prepared for something they don't know how bad it's gonna be or how long it's gonna be. The tragedy of many of us who walk in the faith of the Lord is we don't store up in our spirits and in our hearts for the things that may come upon us suddenly. So we wanna be those who store up ahead of time. We wanna already have our vocabulary picked out, our words picked out. Now, if you were called upon to, to give a short speech, very few of us are totally extemporaneous, right? Um, I mean, can you imagine uh, most of your politicians who are going out on the stump to, to campaign, not having already their points and their speeches and their things prepared, or a comedian not having the script, or a movie without a script, or people, they get prepared, and the better prepared they are, the more smooth it is, and the more they can embellish it and understand with it and sell it. Well, for us, we wanna be those who are prepared so that in the moment of the storm, in the moment of the brokenness, in the moment of the despair, in the darkness of the night, 
in the loneliness of the night, in the quietness of when we're in our lowest points and wondering why, we already have a mindset and a vocabulary and a spirit that even if we're not feeling it at the time, we know it works and we've made a decision. And that decision is, I will not bend. That's one of the problems today with relationships, isn't it? People make commitments. How about marriage? They make a commitment in the moment of romance, in the moment of everything else, and as the rough, as it gets rough and the rubber hits the road and the wheels become off, people find it too easy to just say, I'm done, and all of a sudden they're out looking for other pastures to eat. It's the same way with our faith and with church and with serving one another. We sometimes get impatient and we feel there's something else, somewhere else, somebody, and sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't. But if that's what it takes to satisfy us, we never get satisfied because we're feeding that same thing that draws upon us to steal our peace and our rest. So part of dealing with brokenness is to understand, number one, first and foremost, by the word of God, by the promises of God, by experience, and even by our Lord Jesus Christ, his example, is that the Lord will birth beauty from ashes. And that's the theme today. The Lord births beauty from ashes. This is what I sent out. And I said, our, guard, our God births beauty from the ashes of brokenness. If you will, he swaddles, right? We take little babies and we swaddle them and we tie them up nice and comfortable in a, in a blanket. Their hands aren't peeking at their eyes. They feel comfortable. And when a child and a little infant is used to being swaddled, when they're not swaddled, they're not secure, they're not comfortable, but when they are swaddled, they're like, they're just a little angelic face just sitting there and you smile and you look at that little child all swaddled up neat and, 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 and warm and comfortable and safe and secure. Our God births beauty from the ashes of brokenness and he swaddles the heavy hearted, even as a tender child with his comforter, the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing that of all of the names of God, and there's many of them. I've seen books where there's thousands. I've seen books where there's 10 main ones. I've studied the names of God. I love the names of God because it tells us about his character. But of all the names that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the one who's been in eternity forevermore, the one who was filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the one who understands the Holy Spirit, the one who sends, I must go and ask the Father to send you one who's greater than me, and he calls him the comforter, the comforter. Of all the things, the names, the, the, the attributes, the, the way that Jesus could reveal the Holy Spirit to us, he calls him the comforter. And as I pondered that, even last night and yesterday, I, I saw the swaddling of the comforter. And I thought about my desperate moments when I wasn't sure if there was even a God. I wasn't walking in that faith. When our desperate moments as believers, when we're willing, ready to hang it up because Maybe the price is too much, not just for us, but for other people in our families. There's the comforter. 
And, and that's, this is the glimpse I get. I glimpse the Father. And I have a strong relationship with the Father. I knew the Father before I knew the Son. But then I knew the Son, but I didn't know I knew the Son because He's in the Father and the Father's in the Son. But I knew the Father. I came out of the Jewish temple and, and all I knew was Adonai. I knew the Father. And, and I didn't know him intimately, but as I began to know him intimately, I didn't know Jesus yet, but I began to know the heart of the Father. And I had the fear of the Father. I feared God, and I still do. But I only knew the fear and the heart of the Father. And there would be times in that desperate moment while I was lost, completely lost, stripped of everything, that I can now look back and see that the Father took the comforter and swaddled me and put me in a place of peace and security even when I didn't understand it and was fighting against it. And I want you to know that those are the hands of your father. Your father always wants to, to cuddle you like a child and swaddle you in his comforter. And he wants to help you to fix the broken pieces. There's a very, very expensive Japanese pottery. And I've asked them to, to get it ready so I could show it to you on the screen. Do we have that, Ralph? And can we put the lights down a little bit? This, this pottery is called a kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. And that translates in the English to golden repair. Look at it. Those are pieces that broke. It would be right now, I took your best piece of china or your heirloom or something that meant the most to you and I just smashed it down. And you would look at the pieces and you'd think of what it was and the potential that it had and the value that it had and all of a sudden it's nothing. It's broken pieces. And these Japanese artists, some of them actually break the pieces and other ones find the broken pieces because they're really huge in Japan and China into the dynasty thing, things that go back a thousand years, 700 years. This dynasty, the Ding dynasty, the Ming dynasty, the Yi, the Dai, all kind of dynasties and they date these things and many times they find them broken so rather than leaving them broken, they developed this art of putting the pieces back together and repairing them with gold. And so what you see are golden little pieces that have, that have been put back in with, and, and if you look, there's, they, they do a very good job of trying to make it look artistic so that it sort of moves with the lines and it almost is like a river flowing. And they put these pieces back together and then it becomes a valuable piece of art and the heirloom is preserved and that piece is better and has more value than the original piece. Hmm. Jesus Christ cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, 
he was totally broken into pieces. Spirit, soul, body, broken. This is my body broken for you. And if we could visualize it spiritually, a kitsangi spiritualism, if you will, a bunch of broken pieces, shattered. How many of us can relate to that? How many of us can relate to where we were so broken, we needed hope. We needed to know that there was another day. Now those of us who've come through some very tough addictions, the way we try to solve that is by just going back to it one more time. One more, one more drunk. One more needle, one more time of pills, one more snort. Just getting by one more time. And it ends up becoming something that controls, <coughs> we could put the lights back on, please. That controls and literally takes over our life patterns. And if you will, the person has surrendered to them because they don't have the hope. They don't have the strength anymore. They don't have the ability to pick up pieces and the towel's thrown in. It's like, I'm always like this, so I'm gonna be like this. Nothing's ever gonna change, so I may as well just do what I've been doing. It's brokenness. Brokenness comes in so many ways. Brokenness comes in patterns and places and people, some of which the person isn't even responsible for. Isn't that true? Many times, many times, we see people who've been rejected, abandoned, basically forcibly put into pieces with no control. Children, babies, born into addicted mothers, crack babies, already broken in pieces before they come out of the womb. We ask the Lord why and how, and it's beyond our comprehension, but this we know, he knows how to put the pieces back together. And so our challenge to us, those who have become a kitsangi, who have been put back together, is to be a light for others to know they can be put back together. And we don't want to sell something that's too soft and which is meant to fail right off the bat. Candy-coated Christianity, beloved, is worse than no Christianity whatsoever. Hear what I say. You say, Pastor, how dare you? Let me tell you why, because when the hope and promises of somebody is that in an instant everything's going to go away and you're not going to have any more struggles, and they wake up the next day or the next week or the next month, and they don't have the faith to fight the battle, then pretty soon it's candy-coated Christianity. It's meaningless. And how many times have you heard, I've been better off not to believe that or see that than to have it at all? Candy-coated Christianity is not going to help people. It's holding on in relationships and persevering 
Out of the book of 2 Kings, starting in chapter 6, I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole story. I'm just going to give you some of it. I once did a, a teaching on the four leopards. Well, there's four lepers there. And in chapter Kings 2.6, you have Elisha, not Elijah. And Elisha is really a thorn in the side of the king of Israel. And the king of Israel was more concerned about the people idolizing him than they were the God of Israel, but yet he knew the God of, of the God of Israel, but he put himself in a place just like the heathen kings around him had done. The king of Syria, the king of the Hittites, all of the other kings. He conformed himself because they had a hold on power and the people idolized them. And in that sense, he was esteemed higher than the God of Israel. Elisha was a thorn in his side, continuously just letting him know that the God of Israel was greater than he was. And there was a siege that came in Samaria. And the first thing that happened was this band of guerrillas if you will, it was like the special forces of Syria, came into Samaria and began to pillage and they brought a siege upon them and the Lord God moved mightily and he delivered this special forces operations of Syria to the hands of the Samarians. They wanted to kill him, but Elisha said no, feed them make a feast for them, treat them right. Why would you kill those who the Lord has put into your hands and send them back home? So they went back to where they came from. They went back to the king of Syria. He didn't understand it because that's not the way of the heathen world, is it? It didn't take long until he decided to put another siege upon Samaria. And this time he brought the full force of the Syrian army. And they had it in such a surrounded way, a chokehold on it, that famine came in. Nothing could go out, nothing could come in. And it says in the word of God that everybody was starving. As Ralph put up in 625, the, the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. That was a lifetime fortune. In a quarter, of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. And what it doesn't tell you is that they called it a log of dung, a bird dung sold. You couldn't even find that because people were eating it and what they didn't eat they used to burn for fire. To this day in the Mideast, dung is used to burn for fires, to fuel fires. And the king was walking amongst his people and one lady cried out to him and he said, oh king, oh king, this other woman hasn't been fair. He says, what do you mean she hasn't been fair? And she said, help me, my lord, the king. And the king replied, if the lord does not help you, where can I help you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? What he's saying is I have nothing. But notice that he blames it on the Lord. 
he himself exalting himself higher than God. But when the problem came down, it wasn't him. And the fact that he led his people into famine, it was God's fault. Hmm. Then he asked her, what's the matter? And she said, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today and tomorrow we'll eat my son. Well, what do you think happened? We cooked my son, we ate him, and the next day I said to her, now give us your son that we may eat. But she hit him. And the king got very upset. He tried to do the thing that they do in those days. You know, they tore their robes to show how upset they were. Some people, they threw ashes on their sackcloth on their bodies and walk around as if they're in mourning. It was all external. What he really needed to do was drop on his face and repent to God and ask the Lord to heal his nation. That's what we need our leaders to do. They need to drop on their faces with tears and really repent, not the external stuff. You know, I'm so tired of hearing presidents, and I'm saying presidents say God bless America when at the same time they're cursing God. I'm so tired of it. Do you think God is tired of it? Do you think he listens to that? My prayer is, Lord, get past him and get to us. Bless America anyway in spite of that foul spirit. So they're surrounded, they're in siege. And Elisha comes out with this crazy, berserk word. And there's a guard at the gate. And the guard at the gate hears the word and he mocks him. And Elijah says, at this time tomorrow, you're going to be able to get everything you need. Food is going to be a plenty. It's going to cost a pittance for nothing. You're going to be totally filled. Your baskets will be filled. I'm just amplifying it for you. And the guard laughs at him. Ralph put it up about this time tomorrow. A seeth of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And then this guard who was there, the armor of the king, was leaving and said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens. You see, he was the guard of the king. So he had the same heart, the same loyalty. If you ever want to see who is instigating and causing our leaders to be what they are, look at the people that are around them. That's historical. I could tell you by looking in the White House of, since I began to study politics back in 1970, a political scientist, if you look at who their advisors are and who their influences were, you'll see what comes out as their policies. There's a whole, whole myriad tribe of them. And this man says, even if the floodgates of heaven, would this happen? And Elisha, who is agitated by this lack of faith. You know, Elisha and Elijah and your true prophets of God, they don't candy coat prophecy. <laughs> you got a lot of candy coat and prophecy going around right now in the ministry of God. I, I can't even tolerate it. I won't listen to it. I don't, I don't associate with it. Candy coat and prophecy is, 
nothing more than just playing to the masses, letting them hear what they want to hear. And if the masses happen to be Christian people, oh, we're so easy to push our buttons. Just start to say the things we want to hear at the times we want to hear them, and oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then we buy the tapes, and we Google them, and we tell them we like them, and we add to their million followers, and they continue to regurgitate the same old thing over and over and over and over. Candy coat and prophecy is not of God. Did Jesus candy coat? Whoo. Did Elijah candy coat? Did Elisha? Elisha got a double of what Elijah had. He was even more sarcastic than Elijah was. Elisha had zero tolerance for anybody's crap. Yeah, same as dung. You want me to say dung? He had zero tolerance for anybody's dung. That's what, that's what it was. I mean, he tells this guy, it's going to happen, but you know what? You're not going to see it. He put a death curse on him. Yeah. Elisha said, you don't have any business being here at the gate. So what happens? Eh, you got four lepers. These poor souls were outside the gate. These, these were Israelites. These weren't heathen. They were put outside the gate like the law said to in Leviticus. And what was supposed to happen for them, but they got away from it because of a foul king, is that the priest was supposed to go out to them and he was supposed to touch them with blood. And if you read in Leviticus 14, you'll read the whole series about it and how to make them clean. God had a way for lepers to be clean. It was in the law. But if you're not keeping the law, you cannot apply the law. So they weren't keeping the law, so these four lepers had no mercy from the priests because the priests weren't even active anymore. The priests were in multiple temples. They were in the temples of the gods that weren't of God, and they were, there was not even a temple for them that they cared about anymore that was the God of Israel. So these four lepers were doomed. The only thing they knew with them was put them outside the gate. Don't come in here and touch anybody. We don't want your leprosy. So birds of a feather flock together. These poor four souls found each other. And they're out there and they're seeing this famine going on and they're as desperate as everybody else. There's nothing outside the gate to eat. There's nothing inside the gate to eat. <laughs> they were eating everything they could find. It was about all gone. Nothing left. Started eating children. And so finally they say, you know what? Let's go surrender the Syrians. They're either going to kill us, maybe they'll give us something to eat, maybe they'll make us slaves, but it's going to be better than this because we're so broken and we're in so many pieces, we're so desperate, we have no hope, we have no other way to look, there's no actual way for us to have a solution to this existing situation, so why should we just continue here and die a slow death? Let's either get it on or get it over. Have you ever been at that point? Let's get it on or get it over. I've been at that point. In the Lord and out of the Lord. Out of the Lord by his grace, he got me through it. In the Lord, he reacted to faith. 
So these four, lab- four lepers, in a way they didn't have a choice, but you know in another way, there's some lessons to be learned from them. First of all, when you're broken, faith is very risky, isn't it? Faith is very risky. Candy-coated faith isn't gonna get somebody there. They have to take a step. They gotta take a risk. They gotta take the drug and flush it down the table. They gotta take the alcohol and smash it all. If you're coming out of drugs or addiction, one of the most important things is to change your setting and to change your people. If you don't change your setting, you can't get out. If you don't change your relationships, you're gonna keep falling. It's hard because it seems to pursue you no matter, I know I've been there. It's been a long time, I could hardly remember that guy, but I remember the desperation. I remember the darkness. I remember the grappling. I remember the continuous challenge to just make it another hour, another minute, another day. I remember turning people away from my door that would find me and tempt me who used to sell me stuff, but now they just wanted to give it to me, so what? They could sell it to me again. Same thing for you. In any situation we've been in, you gotta change the setting and you gotta change the people. These lepers finally decided, you know what, this isn't working. These people are dying. There's no priest gonna come out here according to Leviticus 14 and apply the dove of the blood of doves on us and then go through the rites to finally the washing, the cleansing, and the blood on the nose, the ears. Read it all on, the, on, on your fingers, on your toes. You know why I know about very well? Because when I was emerging out of a life that was lost in darkness and trying to find it through the law, I went through those rites. I couldn't find a rabbi that was gonna help me. They thought I was crazy because they didn't know the law anymore. They didn't keep it, so I self-performed them. The blood, the nose, the tips, the ears, the fingers, the thumbs, the big toes. It really wasn't working for me, but you know what? The Lord had grace and he said, this man has a heart after me. He's pursuing me with all that he has. And he held me on by a thread. And somehow I was able to persevere without Jesus that I knew. But with the fear of the Lord was all I had. God will meet you wherever you're at in brokenness. We think that we have to be the only solution. We think that if we don't force feed Jesus into somebody's mouth, they're not going to make it. Well, let me tell you something. God loves them so much, he's going to help put the pieces together for them, whatever he has to work with. Sometimes it's the voice of a person. I shared this before with you, and I want to share it again. How many of you sometimes have heard a voice? A stranger's voice that just had the right word at the right time at the right moment while you were so desperate. And then you never saw her or him again in your life. You wondered, are they real? Was that an angel? Who was that person? Who could they be? Could be an angel. Could be just a person who was obedient to God at the right time, at the right place, in the right moment. One word, don't do it. One word, step up. One word, hold on till tomorrow. 
One word. One word. And how about just being there for somebody at their worst moment, huh? We tend to run away from people in their worst moments. And we criticize mothers and fathers and tell them they're codependent and all kind of crap. Who else is going to not give up on their child but a mother or father? I don't want to hear codependence. I don't want to hear it. I'd rather fail trying to help my child than not helping my child. So you say, Pastor, I don't know. You need some counseling. I probably do, but you ain't going to change me. You ain't going to change me. Not, I'm too old. And I've seen too much. We have to hold on to the people and the things and the relationships that we have. And yeah, we're going to get violated and we're going to become frustrated and we're going to have all kinds of people coaching us what we should do and we shouldn't do. But you know what's in here is what's right. Because if the Lord gave up on you and me with the same impatience that we might have, none of us would be entitled to be sitting here today. Not one of us. And if you tell me you've been righteous and good all your life, <laughs> the last woman I heard say that was married to one of the top evangelists in the world. I'm not going to name him. I came out of that meeting. There was about 10,000 of us. I was on the senior staff of that church. I was the pastor of the English community, thousands of people. I heard her say that. I was on a television program with them. My heart sunk. Who could say that they've never had to fight their way out of sin or the depths? Who could say such a thing? My daddy was a pastor. I was raised up in the church. We were raised up in a youth group. I thought to myself, man, you haven't been broken yet. And I knew it was coming. It didn't take but a year. They split. And it was nasty. Oh, they ended up coming back together, but that's not a relationship. Trust me, I know. That's the business of the ministry. And I had the opportunity to minister to that lady and her brokenness about a year later. I cried with her. I let her know that she may or may not have her relationship put back together with that man but she now could have a relationship with the Lord. And I reminded her her words. I said, now's your choice. Now's your choice. How deep are you going to dive with the Lord right now? How deep are you going to dive? I said, and if you dive deep into the Lord, you'll find the goodness in all of this. He will birth beauty from these ashes. Brokenness, beloved, is the destiny of each and every one of us. These four lepers, they took a risk. I'm sure they probably said to each other, and maybe they yelled out over the gate to the wall to a family member and said, Hey, you're probably not going to see me again, but I'm going to do what I need to do, so goodbye. They took a risk. They left that gate and they began to walk into the camp of the Syrian army. 
Now, here's how I visualize them. You know, whether you know it or not, leprosy is painful. It's painful as it's eating away. And like many things, it's not just a blemish on the skin sometimes. Depending on the degree of the leprosy, it can become very debilitating. So, you know, these four guys, they're making their way together, the four of them. And they're going towards the Syrian army, and I'm sure their blood was beginning to boil. I'm sure probably a little bit on the way, one of them, I'll call him Uncle Ike. He says to Uncle Sid, hey, you think we're making a stupid mistake here, huh? You think, maybe we should just go back. You know, I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to die today. That was your idea. You know, and oh no, come on, let's go. We can't live like this. Don't you remember how, you know, we were eating our own flesh last night trying to stay alive? Just, just biting pieces of our hand off. Yeah. You're saying, oh, that's gross, Pastor, but that's what it was about. They were dying. You know, okay, Sid, let's go. And off they go. And they get close to the camp. And as they're getting closer, they see shoes. They see a shirt. They see shawls. They see weapons. They see what happened. These people are running. They're, they're running out of their shoes. They're leaving everything behind. When, when people do that, it's so that they can get rid of the weight and go faster. They're not leaving a trail for someone to follow. And they're trying to go faster and faster and faster. And they keep following the trail and they go into the camp and they find the whole camp abandoned. And nothing there but stuff they left. Bountiful food, riches, wealth, weapons, clothes, water. Well, they do the first thing that you would probably do too if you hadn't ate in a long time and you could barely walk to get there. They sat in the tent and began to eat. And I'm sure they began to say, huh, look what we got. Maybe they're coming back, but let's eat quick. And afterwards, Uncle Irv says to Uncle Sid, you know, something's wrong. What's wrong, Irv? God delivered us. He brought us here. It's not right that we just keep it for ourselves. He gave us a chance. He met our prayers. I think we need to go back and tell everybody. Oh, man. Well, can we hide some of it? So if we come back, we still get some because we're lepers and they'll throw us out again. They go back. And they called out to the gatekeeper, as it says. And they told him what happened, and he went and told the king, and the king right away said, uh-oh, this is a trap. I know what these Syrians are doing. He said, they're just luring us in, and then they're going to kill us when we get there. But desperately, one of his advisors says, you know what, we got five horses left that we didn't eat. 
Let's send the guard out and five horses, and if they die, they die. But if they don't, what have we lost? Okay. And they go, and they follow the trail of these Syrians' beaten feet back to Syria, not just hiding in the bushes. They come back, and all of a sudden the bounty begins to come back to the camp now. They're getting all the food. And the guard who laughed at Elisha, the people were so excited, they trampled him down, going to the camp of the Syrians to go get the bounty and killed him. He didn't get to see it because he didn't believe it. In the midst of the darkness and the brokenness, there's so many voices around us that don't believe it. We need to see it. We need to be those voices around people that don't just talk about a candy-coated Christianity. And we tell them, you know, it might be tough, but how's this doing for you? But there's a way. And those of us who've been allowed to be put back together, there's a Kent Sangi who, who God has put through the fire and burned it all out. You know, there's something about ashes. Beauty for ashes. Do you know when you take a piece of wood and you burn it, it oxygenates, and there's a whole scientific process it's called. And it actually transforms it from one substance into another. The ashes are nothing like the substance that they were burned from. Do you know that? Otherwise, you can't freeze the ashes and get back to the root of the DNA or the substance of what it is. Once something is reduced to ashes, there's nothing left. It's a completely different substance and material called ashes. And it no longer has an identity. <laughs> if it was wood, it's ashes now. If it was a human body, it's ashes now. If it's a chair, it's ashes now. If it's a fire, whatever's in that fire is ashes now. The identity of what it was is gone. But when God puts the pieces back together and purifies us in the gold, we get a new identity, Amen. a new creation, a new birth. Old things pass away and the old new things become new. And all of a sudden, he births beauty from the ashes. And when he looks upon you in your risen state, he says, Look what I've created. And he and the son, they celebrate. And the comforter comes and swaddles you in his peace and in his power and in his promises. These lepers, eh, I don't know. I think maybe history hasn't been treating them fair. I think maybe history, if it really knew the story, these could have been four men who really ne let, let, never let go of their faith. Maybe the Lord set them aside from the faithless inside the walls, put them aside by himself, stripped them down, broke them up so that they could become miracle heroes. Huh? That's what I think.
That's what I think. I mean, isn't it possible and probable, probably probable, right? That while they're out there dying in leprosy and no food, you think maybe they cried out to God? Huh? Do you think maybe they cried out to God and said, how much worse can it get? Look, look, God, if you're in heaven, hear me. He runs to the one who's brokenhearted. He runs to the one who's contrite in spirit. He runs to the one who has failed. He runs to the one who's desperate. He hears the cry and the Lord moves. Oh, I think those four guys, I think they found faith in their desperation. And I think when there was nothing else left, they cried out. And they became the spark of a huge miracle. Huge miracle. We learn something from that. If we really want to heal and to grow and to come out of junk, we need relationships that are out of junk. I'm telling you, you can't do it alone. Been there and tried that too. It doesn't work. Human beings aren't made to be lonely. We're made to have relationship. That's the beauty of a community, of a family, of a church. Nothing will ever replace the community church. Nothing except the kingdom of God here on earth with Jesus Christ. And I believe even then he'll have churches. Except there won't be denominations. <laughs> Those will all go away. Everybody will get their theology right, whatever it was. Because we'll have one truth, one light, one way. That's the beauty of a church family. We draw on each other. We help each other. Especially a family that doesn't judge. If you look on what we send out every week, a place where you won't be judged. Oh, I'll defend that with everything I have. You know, one of the bishops of the Church of God, dear friend of mine, I remember him telling me once, and I'd already heard it, but not heard it like he said it. There's no hurt worse than a church hurt. Church is a place we're supposed to be safe. This is the place where we're not supposed to be judged. This is where we can let our hair down, or at least we're supposed to be real, have spiritual nakedness in front of each other. Hey, you know, once I was lost, but now I could see. This week didn't go so good for me. Pastor, did you curse this week? Mm. Oh no, I'm holy. I'd never do anything wrong. <laughs> but I run to the altar because I know the altar's safe. Same for us, all of us. These lepers, they put their faith in action. 
And we need to do that. We need to rise and do something in the situation. I don't know. You say, well, pastor, I've tried this. I've tried that. I tried that. It didn't work. I I don't know. I don't have the answer. I'm not your God, but don't quit. Don't quit and ask him again. Okay, this ain't working. What? And sometimes, especially when it's our children or something, we need to pray them into a situation where they're so boxed in, they have nowhere else to go. I don't know. I don't have those answers, but I have faith. And I have faith to believe that God knows how to do it best. And I have faith to believe that sometimes the things I counsel people to say maybe just won't be the right thing. You really need to hear from God before we tell people what we think they should do. Hmm? Too many people with too many opinions. You know, we had a thing and even the rabbis would teach it. You put three Jews in one room, you come out with seven opinions. Opinions are like everybody got one. Faith overcomes, huh? Those lepers, they overcame. They were so isolated from society and and all they had was bad circumstances and a little bit of faith, a little bit of faith. You know, when we begin to move in our faith, even in our darkness, there's something that God gives us called boldness. We don't understand it, we don't deserve it, but we gotta hold on to it when it comes. Some people will call it stubborn. Some will say you're ignorant. Some could say a lot of things, right? I mean, I know when I threw away all the the stuff, the alcohol, the drugs and everything, I can't tell you how many people told me you need to go into rehab. Well, I understood that, but I'd already been delivered and I'm not telling everybody that's the thing. But that's what happened with me. And I'm not saying those people were wrong and, and one of them who told me He'd been in and out three times and told me, you got to let it grab in the mental cycle 30 days. And I said, I don't know about any of that, but all I know is I feel the peace of God. And I said, you know what? I need to pursue God. And I locked myself in my house and didn't come out because I knew that's what I needed. They all meant well, but they didn't have the right word for me. And I may not have the right word for somebody else, but I know the cycles and I can tell people how to help each other. And I'm all for everything until whatever it is becomes a crutch that's between us and God. The lepers, faith is bold. They ventured out, they went to the enemy's camp. And you know what else they did? Sid and Irv, they had a little conversation on the way and they might've stopped and stumbled, but they didn't procrastinate. They acted on their faith and they acted now. And that's how we help us to put our pieces back together and how we help others. We act in faith now. We don't postpone it. We do it now. I don't know what it is. I can tell you one thing that worked with me with one of my children that was gone. I couldn't even talk to her. I had no idea what was going on, but I could tell we were in trouble, big trouble. And here was my prayer. Lord, I don't know what else to do, but can I just tell her I love her? That phone rang the next day and I said, honey, I don't know what's wrong, but I love you. And to this day, she says, dad, that shot me right through the heart. To know that I loved her in the place she was at. 
just like my father loves you would be in the place that we're at. Sometimes it's the only words we have for somebody. I love you. I love you. And for them to see not candy-coated Christianity, but the love. The love. Yeah. Faith is now. And most miracles are accomplished with the collaboration with other people. They are. If you're in a place of miracles, you got a good chance of getting a miracle. I'm not ashamed to say this is a house of miracles. We're a house of miracles. I believe in miracles. I'm walking miracles. You're walking miracles. You need a miracle, you come to the house of God with the people of miracles. Because it's contagious. And every kind, it's a fundamental law of creation. Out of Genesis, let every kind bring forth its own kind. People run around the whole world looking for something to get healed. I feel so sorry for people on their fourth stage of cancer that run down to Mexico for one more treatment and they spend the money and they come back and nothing happens. Desperate, trying to go to a place instead of the Lord. A place of houses, a place of miracles. That's why fellowship is so important. That's why having a pure altar and and a trustworthy house is so important. You know, we've had so many people have come through this door. We had a fellow came back, told Laura Lee a year ago, oh, I, this lady came and prayed for me at the altar. This lady came and prayed for me at the altar and she pointed at this lady. He pointed and he said, you were talking about people receiving organs and I got a kidney, but I never came back and told you. It was okay long as he gives God the glory. Maybe he felt like he needed to come back and give God the glory. We've had people walk through these doors during the week and something happened to them. They said, I feel the presence of God in this place because we practice purity and holiness and righteousness in this house. We don't lease it. We don't rent it. We don't let people come in here and do things because we need the money. We don't do that. We practice holiness here. People don't come up here and worship and play unless they're practicing holiness and can take other people in purity to worship. The environment you're in brings it back. You say, Pastor, where were these lepers? Who were they collaborating with? Oh, just this know-nothing prophet named Elisha. Huh? Hmm? Hmm. Prophetic power, apostolic anointing, that's all real stuff. Unfortunately, it's watered way down in ministry today. It's like Omar said to me when we came out of a place very well-known guy. Too many prophets, too many apostles. One after the other, that poor fellow, they were laying hands and praying on him. He didn't understand a word they were saying. He could hardly speak a lick of English. 
and they used him like fodder and bait. And I was giggling and laughing because he's the one who wanted to go there because he saw him on TV. I said, did you get enough? He goes, Frank, too many prophets, too many apostles. I said, oh, your eyes got opened. Good for you. I said, do you want to hear what they said over you? He goes, no. <laughs> he says, Dad, you pray over me. I trust you. What frustrates God? Doing nothing. I'll say it and I'll say it over and over again. Do something. You'll never hear me criticize anybody in leadership or ministry as long as they're not on their own agenda for stepping out and doing something for God with the right heart. Do it. And you know what? You might stumble. You might smack your head in. You might do this or that. Do it. Don't do it because you're looking for my affirmation because guess what? I ain't your mama. Forgive me. You know, I love my wife. She's gentle. She's got so many traits that I need. There's nothing better than when she puts her hand on my head and she says, you need to rest a little bit. I say, ah, ah. But that ain't me. That ain't me. Sometimes I have to stand in front of giants and tell them God's mad at them. That's how he raised me up. That's who I am. So I need all of you to do the right thing. And you need to step out and do what God calls you to do. And then I'll say, let's go do it. And whatever I can do to help you, I'll do it. But don't put it on me. And don't put it on anybody else. Because if you do, you'll never do anything. You'll never do anything. I've cut my teeth just like all of you. And what's how we need to cut our teeth. Chasing people in the park homeless people to pray for them. <laughs> they thought I was trying to steal what they didn't have. Going into hospitals to see one person praying for half the wing. Going to funeral homes trying to raise the dead. Going to foreign countries, my pockets inside out. God honors faith that acts. You say, but pastor, that's not my calling. Well, do you go to the grocery store? There's a calling. Do you go to the beauty shop? There's a calling. To go get your oil changed, there's a calling. Ah, oh, pastor, I, sometimes I want to say it. You know how you become bold? You practice boldness. <laughs> Pretty soon you don't care anymore. You don't care. Well, pastor, I, I, I might insult him. Well, insult him into, into heaven. That's a good idea. <laughs> pastor, they, they, they might flip me off and tell me they don't want to see me again. Well, that's good. They give you one finger, you give them another one. Say, bless God. Listen, I hit it where the, where the rubber hits the road, beloved. I'm not preaching candy-coated Christianity. You understand? I'm out on the streets every day. I'm dealing with, I'm working just like you do. I see some tough stuff and some rough people. And I've been there and I come from there. And I'm going to tell you what, what made the most sense to me was when somebody really gave it to me with truth when the Lord did it. You got to be around people. Not doing anything frustrates God. And finally, the kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Those four lepers literally 
took that camp by force. They went in there and they brought it all the way back and blessed their entire inheritance. You don't think they had families in there that got saved and redeemed by it, even in their bad position that they were in? So what do we do? First of all, we hold on to hope. We don't let go of it. If you're in a personal place right now where you've got got to put some pieces back together, then hold on to this and know that he's going to put them back together than they were. They're going to be gold-lined, and the value of who you are and what you have is going to be so much greater than what you were. It might take a little time. It might take a little creativity. But this we know, if we practice our faith, he is faithful and just. We have to practice it. We have to hold on to it. Sometimes it needs to be blind. But you know what yields the greatest fruit? Blind faith. You never see the dead rise unless you pray for a dead person. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you haven't done that before, you've got to fight your own faith like, you know, like nothing you've ever seen. Especially when the odds are all against you and it hasn't happened and you've done it many times, but you don't quit. Somebody's asked me, Pastor, how have you experienced the dead rising? Because I've experienced it. And I failed many times, but I never quit. Pastor, what do you do when somebody dies of a disease that you prayed for? I said, I don't quit. I keep praying for the next one. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to believe my God, and I'm going to believe my God after I know he doesn't make mistakes. I know his timing is his timing. I ain't God, but I'm not going to quit. And that's what we have to do for the broken pieces. You have to say to yourself and hold on to it, I will never quit. I will hold on. And you know, when you get to a place and a people and a thing and a time where things are starting to come together, don't get ahead of them. Let it happen. Let the Lord put the pieces and the time and the people together. We're our own worst enemies. We run ahead of it. We get ahead of the ark. But when we allow the Lord to do it, it's perfect. And you know what? Last point. A lot of times it sneaks up on us and we didn't even know it happened. (laughs) We're thinking we're waiting for some other great epiphany to show us and all of a sudden we've been in the blessing and we didn't even know it. We've been praying for something that's already there and and we didn't understand it. It's a big, big world out here. God's got a lot of messengers. If you can't make the difference in a loved one's life, believe God, he'll send somebody else. Just believe him. And love never fails, amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for the fact that you bring beauty from ashes. Thank you, Lord, that you change us, you change our identities, you change our hearts. Thank you for your hope, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that in the face of whatever it is that you give us that, that, that spark of faith that brings forth miracles in our lives and other people's lives. Thank you, Lord, that you always continue to do the work in us, that even when you perfect us, you perfect us some more. Thank us, Lord, that that we never have to wonder, did I arrive or not arrive, or did I miss it? Because you promise you transform us from a glory to a glory to another glory. 
Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to do it all ourselves, but you put many relationships and people around us that have pieces that we don't have, that know how to put things back together that we don't know how to do, that walk with us and hold us in times when we can't do it ourselves. We thank you for that, Lord. We bless you for it. Now, Lord, let your word ring true inside of us and keep us. And we give you all the glory, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.